Hey, this is a Hakawati production. Hi there, this is the men's room. If you or anyone you know owns a business, you're going to want to listen very carefully to what my next guest has to say. COVID-19 has been really tough on everyone. We're all worried and uncertain about what comes next, and we all feel disoriented in every possible way. But businesses are really in the eye of the storm. Most businesses are simply shut down right now. And even if your brand sells products online, any product at all, no one is really buying. And the truth is, it kind of feels weird to sell right now. Everyone is talking about this, including people like Tony Robbins. To help us all navigate this a bit better, I have on the show today a really smart guy called Nelio Leone. Nelio is a growth marketer who was the director of brand and organic growth at Karim until it got bought out by Uber for $3.1 billion last March. Since then, he's helped a couple of friends in Dubai grow oh, a laundry service that eventually secured multi-million Series B funding. And now he has his own growth marketing agency called Urban Monks, which helps entrepreneurs find smart angles to grow their company get noticed by new customers and new investors, of course, and to increase their revenue. I recently heard him on a Magnet webinar talking about degrowth and how businesses should manage marketing during this coronavirus crisis. And I think you'll find much of his advice very useful and very enlightening. Hi, Nelio. Hi. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's our pleasure. So I've heard you talking about how businesses should be riding this wave during this crisis. What do you mean by ride the wave? So um, it's not really like riding the wave, but how to pretty much cope with, uh, with this whole situation that is going on right now. Um, because basically what this crisis is doing is just accelerating trends that were already existing there before. It's not really creating um, any uh, real... Uh, new radical dynamics, at least not on the long term. Maybe in the short term, yes, everybody's going to be stuck at home, etc. But on the long term, what, what we'll probably see is that simply all the trends that we had before the crisis, so remote, remote work, more reliance on e-commerce, and most of like all of these trends that we saw before the COVID-19 that were just like maybe initial trends or they were uh, adopted by um, the early adopters, Now it's just going to be available for the late majority. So everybody is going to think remote work. Everybody's going to think e-commerce. The venture capitalist mentality is probably going to shift from that growth, growth, growth at all costs to profitability. Um, so I don't think there's going to be nothing radically new. It's just that all the conversation that were in the background before, they're going to be on the main stage now. I think this is what the crisis is doing. And So basically, it's not really about like how you can uh, take advantage of this crisis, but like every other crisis, it's pretty much like a huge wave that comes out of nowhere. Um, and there are people that, you know, they get wiped out by the wave. Uh, it's like a monster wave. They get wiped out and it hurts and some business will disappear. And there are other businesses that um, actually they get their surf of their lives. You know, in 2008, there's a lot of different companies that, not only started to work really well, but they really thrived and um, they set the pace for a complete new economy. So 
It's going to be a very interesting time, I think. Which companies are you referring to? So if you think about it, right, during this whole recent, during the 2008 recession, that's when Airbnb started really picking up massively. That's where um, all those players started to really uh, sink in to a next level. Um, Uber, uh, that's when Uber really started to, to pick up massively, especially in the States. And then uh, worldwide was more around like 2013. Um, so what I'm just saying is that all those companies that now are IPO or in their way, uh, in their way to IPO and that were uh, majorly venture, like uh, venture capitalists subsidized back then, uh, that's when they found like the best fertile ground to grow and to really become much stronger. So yeah, with crisis, it also like also opportunities arise. This is pretty much what I'm saying. Mm. So but in terms of marketing, should companies and businesses be selling right now or trying to sell? So it depends. Um, um, it's very hard to generalize because there's not like just one rule that fits all scenarios. Because first of all, it depends on industry, right? So um, if you just check um, now, and I think Uber suggests they did um, an amazing report on uh, on what actually what industries are getting really impacted and what industries are actually seeing a big spike and you'll actually see that for instance media companies um, and telecoms they're of course they're going up to the roof right now why because people are stuck at home and we're all in browsing mode and we're all uh, consuming uh, media uh, or content in any sort of form from any type of media, whether that is TV, whether that is social media, whether that whatever that is, right now the consumption of media is huge. Mm. But in other industries, like for instance the travel industry, where we went from what I think it was like around 200,000 flights, daily flights, to less than 20,000 a day right now. So I mean, that really sets the pace of uh, now we're like pretty much operating at 10% of what we were operating in COVID, uh, sorry, in pre-COVID-19 uh, in, the, in the airline industry. So you'll see that there's always going to be winners and losers. And, you know, like any, any huge recession or any huge crisis that hit, um, that hit the fan, basically what is very important is not really how you try and catch this crisis or try to, uh, it's actually how this crisis catches you. What kind of position are you in? What kind of industry? So I don't think there's one size fits all, but when it comes to marketing, it's clear that there's definitely clear winners and the clear winners that I believe right now, the ones that are doing really, really, really smart in terms of marketing is that they're shooting for eyeballs. Can you tell, can you give an example of the types of businesses that you're talking about that are doing that? Yeah, definitely. So take, for instance, um, again, Facebook, Facebook Live. So Facebook Live has seen an increase of engagement in their live audiences, unprecedented. So now we're talking about like 70% in growth over, over, over last month. Wow. So that, yeah. So that means that Facebook Live is pretty much now bringing audiences and is iterating the product for audiences to start developing a habit. So what's very interesting is this, is that, so marketing is just, honestly, it's just a byproduct of human psychology. Um, nothing more, nothing less. So, and there's a, one of the most important uh, principle of human psychology that is, so it's decision-making, right? Marketing helps 
uh, business people drive decision making and then they manage to drive that decision making toward their own goal. Now there's decision making. There's only one thing that can actually, actually two things that can override decision making. And this is either emotional reaction. So when basically you're, you're, you don't think straight because you're getting out of like an emotional impulse. And we've seen that with the, the toilet paper. Yeah. Um, and then another way of uh, overriding decision making is habit. So habit takes mm, now there's different different like studies whatever but it takes around like 60 like between 21 to 60 days to develop and then it takes like three times more to break a habit so it's going to take you like probably what um one month to start smoking and then it's probably going to take you like 20 years to stop and so the smart companies what are what they're doing right now they are all those companies that are either helping and facilitating this development of habits in their customer base or in their target audience. Okay. So the more you induce these habit creation in your customers right now, that's when you're winning. Okay. So I think like the best tip that it can be given to anyone out there right now, um, just stay very close to your customer base. Even if they're not buying right now, make sure that they get in a habit to see you every day because now they're stuck in front of their screens. And so you need to do whatever it takes for them to develop a habit of seeing you every day. Because then once they start seeing you every day, you're going to be constantly top of mind. And then after this period of, where, of confinement, then it's going to be much easier to go for the sell or for the ask. You talked about... Um in the webinar that I watched where you were talking about this, you talked about being in entertainment mode. What exactly do you mean by that? Because it's not the selling mode. Um, can you give me an example of what you mean? Yeah, sure. So let's say, for instance, so I'll just give you some, some data that I, that I just got from, uh, from, from different sources. So across all industries right now, um, when you're looking at the performance marketing index, so performance marketing just gives you pretty much what is happening in terms of cost of acquisition. So, Yesterday, for me to acquire you as a customer, for you to consume my product and become my customer, I would spend $1. Today, because of this whole COVID-19, people are clinging to cash. And so it's going to make, it's going to take me more effort. So more time and more money for you to become my customer. So the increase in the CAC cost of acquisition is by 50%. It's historical. It's never like very rarely you see this across all industries. This is a average across all industries. So some industries is like, like silly, stupid, some others, but like this is the average. So imagine if yesterday I was able to get you for, uh, for $1. Now it's going to be $1.50. However, on the other side, what's very interesting is that the CPM that measures the cost of impression has dropped by 30%. So that tells you two things. It tells you that basically now with 30% less, you can get your product in your product or your brand or whatever that is in front of people. But these people, they don't, they, they're not willing to buy. That is what it's saying. So it means that people are in browsing mode. We're all in browsing mode because we're all scared of what the future is going to, it's going to give us. We, we don't know how, like, we don't know the finish line of this whole thing. 
We don't know if uh, we're going to lose our job, if we're still going to have clients. Like nobody really knows. So people are not spending. However, people are browsing a lot. So now it's going to cost you much less to, for you to be discovered, for you to entertain people. And the most interesting thing is that now you have all of their attention because, well, we're all stuck in front of screens pretty much like all day, every day. So now it, their attention costs less and it costs you less to be out there, to be in front of them. So you can't be in sell, what I just like the bottom line of this is that you can't be in sales mode right now. You need to entertain your customer. You need to provide value. You need to make them feel your presence. Like you need to be there, but you can't ask for a sell. Okay. Uh, like some of the stuff that you're talking about doesn't necessarily resonate with people who are not like that familiar with th that kind of data. Um, meaning, for example, if you're a small business and you have your own in-house person doing marketing, they're already there getting paid or whatever. How does the price of, of you know, acquisition of or whatever change? So that yeah, sure. so is so, what you're so talking. I'll, does what you're talking about apply to these small businesses that um, you oh, know are to everyone. that are selling like let's say jewelry or let's say consignment luxury, which are things that are often online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, like it really applies to everyone. It simply means, like in bare words, it simply means that if yesterday I could acquire uh, customers for for cheaper, now it's going to cost me much more. So I'm going to spend much more in Facebook ads if I want those Facebook ads to drive sales. Mm. However, if I play it smart and I don't shoot, so basically I don't optimize my ads for sales. I just optimize that my ads for awareness or for um, reach or like for the top of mind, then in that case, I would be spending less, but I still be capturing a lot of eyeballs. So I would still be top of mind. Okay. So to be clear, you're talking about basically uh, promoted uh, content and, and advertising. Yeah, exactly. But I know that um, at Urban Monks, you guys don't focus a lot on social media, but still most people that are launching small businesses feel like this is the media that they need to really harness uh, in order to grow their business. They need to be successful at it. Um, do you have a different perspective on this? Yeah, so um, social media has two parts, right? So there is one part that is what we call organic So the organic approach is, let's say I have a page and I'm starting, I have my social media calendar and I just put my posts there. And then I got a couple of likes, a couple of people, you know, they go on my page and they just see that mm, content is there. However, there is another aspect of social media that is paid media. It's the paid social media. So when you go on Facebook, you would have to open a business account. Um, and then basically on your ads manager, You can start by filing in your credit card. You can start running ads, running advertisement. Sure. And those ads will bring you direct, like they're going to bring you sales. And why? Because it goes out of your organic reach, of the simple reach that you can get by just posting your content calendar on your page. It's just your cost that you're paying to Facebook for Facebook to share uh, sure. your, uh, your ads to all sort of people that are interested in the category uh, that you're targeting. 
Well, I guess my question is, is this really a lot of what you focus on when you do your growth marketing consulting with the companies that you deal with? So you spent some time at Kareem. Obviously, it's kind of a big deal that you were there and then they were eventually kind of a unicorn. Was that part of their success, their growth success? And I'm basically asking if that's the core of how you grow a business. Well, yeah, I guess nowadays um, you can't really um, escape it. Like you really uh, need to um, focus heavily on uh, advertising, on adver on what we call PPC, so pay-per-click, where basically you need to have an advertising strategy in place. Or on another side, you need to use or so it's basically like not like marketing really really works in two different ways, right? There is one way that is purely organic. And in that case, if you play the organic play, and there's a lot of people that, that are very good at that, and they build million-dollar businesses based on, only on organic because they produce such good content that people start sharing, people start liking, people start engaging with. And I'll give you an example. For instance, Huda Beauty started in a very organic way. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, She started even like when she started, she didn't even have products to sell. She was just a YouTuber or just a blogger. And the way she did that is that she started building audiences organically. So and how did she do that? By simply taking her phone or a camera and just taking, you know, like very interesting videos about herself, about like how to do their makeup and how to teach other people how to do their makeup And for a lot of Saudi women that were at home and they were stuck on their screen, etc., well, they were very interested to see how to do their makeup. So they start consuming this content as if it was like a sitcom or what we were used to when like TV was prominent. Then you have another way of growing, which is paid. So paid, there are a lot of different companies. For instance, let's take Karim. Karim massively grew on paid advertising. So the way it happened is that like you get money from venture capitalists and then or from investors or if you're a small business from your own pocket or whatever that is, and you reinvest it in advertising. Advertising, this is the paid side of marketing. And in that case, what happens is that you need to have clear paid media funnels for your paid media strategy to work. So uh, that's that's pretty much what marketing comes down to, organic versus paid. So basically you're saying right now during this uh, coronavirus crisis, businesses should still be investing in advertising, but with a different purpose, which is more to entertain and to maintain a relationship with their audience, right? So um, I think the best companies right now, what they're doing is that um, they're using a mix of an organic strategy and a paid strategy to really fulfill one super important purpose that every brand, every everyone out there should have right now, which is empathy. Because we're all going through this and customers should be treated like your community. These guys, your customers are the one that at the end of the day are paying the electricity, they're paying the salary for people. So right now is really the moment to give back and to show a lot of empathy. So if I like, you know, Uh, this is what I tell all my clients right now, and this, this, these are the marketing strategies that we're putting together where we leverage a mix of organic and paid. So we create very strong organic content and then we boost it 
with a paid strategy. But the end line is that we really use empathy as our general umbrella. Because right now, it's the time to help your customers or your clients going through this COVID-19 in the best way possible. And whatever you can do and you can give back to them, they're your community. Treat them like they're your community. It's a virtual community. It's not like a physical one, whatever, but just as if it's like like a sort of family, you know, like you, if right now you're there for them, uh, they're going to be there for you after and they were f- there for you before. So it's not because right now they're churning or they're not spending that you should just like, okay, shut down communication with them. Actually, right now is the moment to double down communication with them and it's the time to give back and not give back with the um, with the expectation of then getting something back in return. It's really more about being there for them because at the end of the day, building a business and marketing especially comes down to one thing, which is building and curating healthy long-term relationships. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so a lot of people believe that the world is changed forever uh, with you know how massive this is affecting like the whole planet and that things will never really go back to the way they were before. Um, do you think anything good can come from all of this for brands or and businesses and certain industries? Sure. I, 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 I totally believe in this and because I'm an optimistic person by nature. And I believe, you know, that uh, if businesses follow the path of empathy, then yes, there are very good things that, they can, that can come out of it. And I'll give you an example. Take, for instance, there's a startup in Seattle. I think it's called, it was called PhotoJoy. So basically their, their mission in terms of business, in terms of company mission, what they really believed in is that they started a photo booth around the cities because they want to see CD smiles. So they wanted like to see their city smiling. So they were they 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 had this mission about our mission is to see people of our city smiling. And then what happened? COVID came in and these photo booths, well, guess what? You can't go to a mall, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to a photo booth because now, well, you're stuck at home. So overnight they couldn't pay the bills anymore and they were forced to shut. That's when the founder, and that's where you see going through the, this path of empathy, so instead of like just saying, okay, yeah, uh, you know, my business and me and why and uh, or trying to whatever, trying to sell masks online for triple the price, instead of doing all of that, um, he started empathizing to what other business owners were feeling. And then he realized that actually he was not the only one in that situation, that there were a lot of other people in that situation, a lot of other local business owners that were getting wiped out because of this COVID-19 so what he did, he just he just pivoted his business to a complete different way of fulfilling the same mission, which is getting people in, in a city to smile. And he started something, um, I don't remember the name, uh, I think it's called smilingcity.com, where basically he is creating gift box that you can pay for a subscription per month, where you're receiving all the, like a different compilation of um, different products of businesses that are being wiped out in your city. And this went viral overnight because then some influencers picked it up and everybody, and and basically what he was doing- It's like is a social like, enterprise, basically, almost. 
almost a social enterprise. He was just facilitating. He said, like, listen, we have a database of a lot of customers and you have a database of a lot of customers. Why don't we all join forces? Mm -hmm. And we put all these different products from, um, I don't know, from um, a company, from a local like beauty company um, to, I don't know, a um, uh, local marmalade. A lot of time, these kinds of things are women's products, right? Yeah, a lot yeah. of time they're women product. Yeah. And guess what? It went viral overnight. And now there's a lot of subscriber that every month gets product that are actually really cool because then you receive it in a very cool and premium packaging. That's super and smart. Every month, yeah. Yeah. And every month you receive something new that you probably wouldn't have thought of buying. And they're so, so specific, like they're so original products that, well, I mean, if you're home and instead of eating like Nutella, you're going to get something that is from a local, I don't know, like a local jam from a local farmer that was selling online, whatever that is, you know? This is a wonderful idea. Yeah. So probably this is something that um, could be done here in the region as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thanks for the yeah. for putting that out there. Somebody should like yeah. hop on that. Um, so, yeah, so you were at Karim and then... Um, just to go back a little bit about the things you've done, the companies you've worked with, you were at a company called Washman. So basically, I'll just really give you a um, quick rundown on what my career path looked like. I was a corporate marketer. I was in corporate before. I started in Paris in the headquarters of First Chanel and then L'Oreal. Yes. And then after a couple of years in L'Oreal, um, they sent me here to the region to manage um, a business division in Saudi Arabia. And after having two years at L'Oreal, um, I was kind of like feeling a bit, um, not bored, but like corporate world was kind of getting a bit um, bit too, uh, it was a bit too tight on me. Stifling, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, stifling. So um, then when after my mission, after two years in Saudi was, um, what was done, I had, well, the opportunity either to go back to Paris uh, and then I met at a, at a conference, I met, um, I saw speaking Mudassir Sheikha, who is the founder of uh, Karim. And back then, Karim was nothing like it is today. So we're talking about, they were just like, it was very small reality. And, but I was mesmerized by his speech. Um, I think everybody, everyone that has worked closely with Mudassir agrees on that. It's like such an inspiring leader. And even then, when the was very humble beginnings, his vision was so strong that just after that conference, I pretty much like applied. And I was lucky, I guess, because they had no marketing people back then. They were actually recruiting for marketing. And yeah, and I got, um, I was one of the first uh, head of marketing. Well, well, you were lucky and they were lucky, I guess. Because, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not easy <laughs> to find good marketing people, right? It's really not easy. Not everyone kind of has their mind wrapped around it in the wrong, or in the right way. Yeah, actually, and you know, you're right, because even for myself, coming from corporate, where there was a, a lot of, at least from, uh, I'm talking for myself, not for every person working in corporate, but at least from my perspective, where how I was perceiving the thing is that I really thought I understood and that nobody could teach me anything about the consumer market. Little did I know, when I first joined Karim, that it was like, whoa, like for me, it was a shockwave. Like it was literally because I thought I was like extremely good at marketing. And then I realized that, well, this new reality, this new tech, and we're talking about six years ago, five or six mm -hmm. years ago. A lot so has it's like changed. It's a long time. Yeah. And what I'm saying is that back then, 
companies like Karim, etc., they were like, at least here in the region, the first kind of tech company really having to build like a new approach to marketing. So there were not a lot of best practice lingering around that you could uh, re-implement or it was about like really inventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. So, and it was a shockwave because everything I knew from my marketing experience before, it seemed that it was not relevant anymore and that the con market, the consumer market actually like the, the rules of the consumer market were actually changed. And that's when I realized that I had to upskill and really start like paddling really, really hard to stay afloat because otherwise I would have just sank because my marketing skills were not relevant to this whole new social media uh, world. Yeah. Because it's actually social media that changed everything. It created like a whole new dynamic of the consumer market. Hmm. So it took me like a lot of effort to do to for this really digital uh, upskilling to go from um, this very corporate reality that still back then believed that digital was a fad, that it was like, yeah, whatever, it's very small. And before it's even going to be significant, it's going to take probably like 20 years, whatever, to digital is now and we need to bring results now. So that phase for me was quite painful and took me like honestly a lot of work um, to get up to speed. Um, and then once I got up to speed, um, well, we pretty much built Karim from an organization of what were like 15 people to then I was part of the so-called Tigers team, uh, the team that brought the company from 15 people to 3000 plus people across the whole network mm, wow. from an email list of what it was like, uh, from like a very small email list to an email list of like 34 million. Wow. So, I'd be so, yeah, so curious we to know how you did that, but, but we can discuss that another time. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it was not, it was not me, of course. It was, uh, it was a part of a very concentrated effort and concentrated team, but we were really like the ones that came at the, in the early stage, just before the L curve started to kick in, just before the hockey stick, as the VCs would call it. Yeah. What what is the what is the hockey stick again? Hockey so yeah. hockey stick it's um it's uh it's basically when the growth graph looks like a hockey stick. Uh -huh. So you go from like small and then you yeah and then you start growing I see, massively. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I like it. You know, it's, it's very called, it's very it's Canadian. Yeah, it's called hockey stick growth. Yeah, I, I I heard you saying that. I just wasn't quite sure I knew what it meant. So that's that's yeah. amazing. So. So obviously they you left when they sold the company. So I left quite before, okay. uh, to be honest, because um, simply because I was exhausted. I was literally exhausted. Like working two years for in a reality like Karim was like probably working I don't know five years in investment banking because it was like we were we put out like the best work. Probably each of us put out the best work we probably ever had. And it was simply exhausting because imagine a growth rate where your team from one day to the other is just like it goes from three people to like 17 people. And then from 17, you go to like 70 people. And then so it's it just like it's um, mm -hmm. it's an extreme sport that takes a huge toll on you uh, mentally and physically. So after two years and I know very few people that that that, that stayed more than two years at Karim. Uh, there are, there are, they're very rare, but there are. 
And uh, so, yeah, so after that, I decided to take a break, to take a sabbatical. And um, what I did, I started exploring a new reality that I read a lot online. It was called It's called actually Digital Nomad. And I was like, what are, what are these guys doing? Who are these digital nomads? And I got very interested by this whole, uh, this whole community. And basically, digital nomads, just very short. Basically, it's a community of people that uh, live off Southeast Asia. And what they do, they create business models that are uh, location independent, meaning that you can pretty much run businesses from anywhere in the world. All you need is just like a connection and a laptop. So what I'm just saying by this, I was like very mesmerized because I saw all these guys building very interesting businesses online. And I said, okay, I need to really find out how these guys they're doing. And so what I did, um, started like a travel to Bali. Then from Bali, I went to Chiang Mai, uh, the capital of digital nomads worldwide. And um, there in Chiang Mai in Thailand, I understood how these business models were operated. And I understood how these people were making money. And I understood how they structure their traffic. And I understood that it was actually a very engineered system and that it was extremely clear and that it was extremely, that had very specific uh, laws and rules of do of engagement on how to do it. And so, yeah, so then I, I kept that aside in mind. And after my friends from Washman, the two founders are good friend of my good friends of mine. And basically um, back then they were stuck in their acquisition was kind of like, was not really picking up massively because they didn't have internal resources to take care of, of customer acquisition. And so they asked me, they said, Nidio, since you, pretty much already did that at Karim. And then you went and studied these digital nomads to understand how they live their lives, whatever. Why don't you join as a head of growth? And so what I realized um, during my time with digital nomads actually was very interesting because I met business owners that had multi-million dollar businesses without having a proper physical team. Everything was run remotely. Uh, without having investors, without even having a proper office. And these guys, most of the time, they were just my age. They were like around 30 years old. And I was like, wow. And so I studied their model and I said, listen, when I went to Washman, I said, the first thing is like, let's not build a marketing team all because we don't have the resources for it. What we're going to do, we're going to use like this very super lean methodology. And by using this super lean methodology, we started growing really fast. And after, I think after like 14 months, we grew the business, if I'm not mistaken, between five or seven X. So like five, seven times the size of the business. And then thanks to that exponential growth that we did in one year, uh, they secured a massive investment from international investors like Henkel. So what I'm just saying here is that uh, we did this pretty much without marketing teams. And it was just me and a very smart internet. Uh, sorry, a very smart. Um, <laughs> the internet smart, is pretty uh, smart. You're right, yeah. but I'm sure you're <laughs> even smarter. <laughs> yeah, no, a pre- no, and a pretty smart uh, inter. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but the di- digital nomads, what what kind of things do they sell? Is it usually like services, products? Like what kind of businesses so are we talking about? So there's different there are different verticals, right? So one of the verticals that was very strong. It was basically like drop shipping, uh, e-commerce with a very specific formula called drop shipping. 
dropshipping is basically a very particular way of doing e-commerce where you actually don't uh, store product, you don't produce product. You basically just find suppliers and find demand and then just connect the supply with the demand. Hmm. And you take a percentage out of every transaction. This is like was one of the most popular models, but there were other models, right? So another one was like selling courses, online courses. So um, how to, I don't know, whatever, like how to, uh, I remember there was this guy who was in a consulting group before, I think it was either Ernst & Young on Boston Consulting Group, whatever, from the States, from Canada. And he actually moved to Chiang Mai to sell um, a new way of staffing your company. So how to staff your company in India or other uh, countries where there are a lot of very extremely good talent at cheaper cost mm -hmm. and how to do that remotely. And he was selling a system um, for that. Very specific. So, so it's very specific. Yeah, you need to. So and the whole concept of digital nomad that was extremely interesting is that it all boils down to finding a niche. And there was this saying that this guy told me once and it's it really stick with me like big big time and it's a niche makes you rich so this was like the whole game <laughs> so be as specific as possible find a very specific market find a product that fits that market and then go all out makes sense so are you applying all these things you've learned to your own company urban monks i mean you're selling a service yeah so right now um urban monks is a growth marketing agency we we consult and we help companies in building super strong conversion funnels uh what that means is that we really have a super balanced way on creating sales strategy online while you tell a super strong story so we combine storytelling and brand, brand branding and storytelling with uh, data analytics and uh, performance marketing. We combine these three things and we've created like the Urban Monks formula that is basically where you sell while you tell. You sell while you tell a story. Nice. And and it works it works it works like a charm. We have more than now we have more than 14 case studies. Uh, with uh, with very strong results. So it's a methodology that really works. It's very specific and there are very few clients that understand it. That's why it's never going to become like a multi-billion dollar business. It stays like a niche business, which is exactly the digital nomad kind of uh, kind of uh, strategy. Can you mention any of the companies that you're working with? Yeah, so we work with, uh, with, uh, with like a completely different array of companies from, uh, we helped uh, Unilever, in training some part of some uh, part of their staff we helped back then fetcher in really understanding their uh, how to pivot their strategy we worked with uh, other companies like right now the camel soap factory we worked with uh, nudewear that was uh, then recently acquired by huda beauty we worked with um, we worked with with, with shalhoub uh, with a couple of projects i mean we've worked with more than and then we worked pretty much like in every like geographically we are very spread. So we took clients from Mexico to the UK, to uh, Kenya, um, Saudi, here, Dubai. Um, so yeah, it's like we're very, we're very, very spread. In, uh, but in the region, these, these are the, the, the key names that we work with. So you have a small team, I know you mentioned. You're seven, right? Yeah, so we're seven people. And the beauty of it is that 
we don't really consider ourselves as an agency, but it's rather like an ecosystem, meaning that Urban Monks is working more as a platform, meaning that I have enlisted more than 100 uh, professionals, and these are top professionals in growth. And it's basically who opts in in the work, in the, in the project. We build a team based on the requirement of the project uh, on a database of professionals. So it's not as if I have like always the same people over and over, and then we just need to fit with the client and try to hack it or try to make it work. Mm -hmm. No, we actually customize the team to the project because we have like, we have an infinite database. At the moment, we are seven that we are, we are constantly involved in, in, in the business, but virtually we're more than 2000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this core team of seven people, are you guys in the office these days with, with what's going on or do you all work uh, remotely? No. So, so we all like Urban Monks starts as a remote agency because it had to fit one of my key criteria of launching a business. It had to be location independent. That means that if tomorrow I want to leave Dubai to go to, I don't know, uh, whatever, like Fiji Islands, I can. So this Good is the choice. whole con. Yeah, like whatever, you know, this is this is basically how I wanted to structure the business. I didn't want to have a business that was asset heavy. I wanted to have a business that is asset light and which actually proved to be a very good choice, especially now in recession mode or when, you know, this whole COVID happened because these type of businesses, because they're so lean, they're very easy to survive because they don't require a lot of resources mm -hmm. to run. Um, I have no one in, uh, in fixed payroll. So it's all project-based. Oh, so I think that your model, and we always started this conversation with this, your model is a trend that began, you know, a while back, but that will be magnified as we uh, move through this crisis and probably be like the new normal, a lot of the things that you're talking about. Yeah, I think so as well. I think um, after this crisis these uh, type of uh, of businesses we were just like the the early adopters but it's going to become like the new normal as you say so it's going to become like a, a new regular patterns um, i see even now people in corporate now they all corporates need to have a remote policy a remote strategy mm -hmm. uh, before they could ignore it and say oh yeah maybe one day whatever no 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 let's mm -hmm. all go to the office now They can't because, as I said before, going back to what I was saying before, people develop habits and habits override decisions. Once you get into a habit of working remotely, now go back to deciding going to the office and deciding that remote work is actually not worth it anymore. Now it's a habit. It's overriding your brain. Yeah, definitely. So it'll be really hard. Things won't be the same once, you know, especially if this drags on for a while. It'll exactly. never, re things don't go backwards. So if you have one piece of advice for entrepreneurs right now, what is it? So right now, choose the path of empathy with your customers. So even if you can't make a buck right now with them, just stick to them, make them feel your presence, talk to them, call them up. If you're the CEO, they're going to appreciate your support. Um, and a very important piece of feedback for any entrepreneur out there is that, and I know because I make this mistake myself all the time, entrepreneurs tend to be very insular. We tend to get into our tunnel vision uh, where all that matters is like, 
our business, us, our business, us, that we forget that we're part of like a, a community. And right now, every entrepreneur is out there struggling. So partnerships are extremely easy to, like everybody's willing to, uh, to, to take a shot at something that might maybe not work. So if before to partner up with companies were extremely difficult because they didn't have the time, they didn't have the resources, they didn't want to do it, whatever. Now, because you're both struggling, well, now it's time to find other business partners, maybe even partner up with your competitors. Um, what I'm just saying is that partner up in a way that it makes sense for your customers, because at the end of the day, right now is the moment to be super empathetic towards your customers. So do everything you can to make sure that you are helping them going through these rough times. Sorry, that was a very long advice, but... Uh... <laughs> it was golden. It was golden. <laughs> thank Th you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. I know it'll give a lot of people more confidence as they get through this tough time. Best of luck to you and your, your team. And uh... Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and keep in touch, yeah? Definitely. That's it. Thanks for being with us today. As usual, make sure you're subscribed to the show and connect with us on social media at hakawadi.fm and the Nadia Michelle. Bye for now. <laughs>